You're listening to the Caroline Springs Anglican Podcast. How are you doing, everyone? All right? Not very good? I would have thought you were feeling a little better now that I'm back from holidays. Two Sundays off. Felt like longer. It always does. Um, I get two Sundays into any holiday and I start to start to uh, really miss you guys, and I feel it. I don't know about you guys when you've missed church for a couple of weeks, but I feel it. I feel like I need to be back, back with the fam, and so it's good to be back with you, uh, back with you this week, even though half of you I don't recognize, so uh, welcome if you're new. <laughs> it's great to be with you. We, um, we're in week 15, can you believe it? Week 15 of this journey through the first half of the book of Exodus. It's going to take us 22 weeks, God willing. So we've still got uh, a few to go, but uh, this week is kind of the, the culmination of everything that's gone before, um, and, uh, and we're right on sort of on the doorstep of the great plague and the great deliverance of God's people that's coming next week. Uh, but really, it's the culmination of, of everything that God said would happen uh, as Moses enters Egypt and confronts Pharaoh and, and tells him to let his people go. So if you remember, if you were here way back in chapter 4, you might remember that uh, chapter 4 verse 21 to 23 said this, The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. And so everything, uh, the preceding nine plagues that we've been working through a bit at a time over the last couple of months, all of that has been leading up to this moment, this final confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh. And it's here that Moses is going to tell Pharaoh the, the most devastating of all the plagues of God is coming. And, uh, and what I like about, um, about this story is that uh, we see just the, the insanity of Pharaoh's stubbornness and hardness of heart. By this point, where we're up to today, where everyone was with Pharaoh in the beginning, in, even in the, the land of Egypt, now they are kind of drawn towards Moses uh, even the people of Egypt can see this guy's out of his mind, right? We've had nine plagues to teach us a lesson about who really is God over the earth. It's not Pharaoh like we thought. It's actually Yahweh. He's demonstrated this for us. And so we see that the hearts and minds of the people of Egypt themselves have, have been sort of moved to respect, at the very least, Moses and Yahweh. So in verse 1 to 3 of our passage, it says, Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike had to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. They have been swayed. At least the people under Pharaoh have been swayed. They've come to see this is a a legitimate claim to divinity. Yahweh has said, I am. 
I am the uncreated. I am the Lord and God over all things, and he's backed it up. He's kind of like a good father, right? He's a good father who, when disciplining, disciplining his creatures, he, he not only threatens, but he follows through. So i got a close friend of mine, and it drives me crazy because him and his wife, when they're disciplining their kids, they do the, you know, I'm going to count to three thing, that little device that we use sometimes, but he never gets to three. So he's always saying, get down out of that tree. One, two, two and a quarter, two and a half, two and four fifths. And I just want to yell like, three! Like, get to three, because his kids are just looking at him going, we know. We know you're never getting there. That's not the kind of father that God is. He has threatened and he has followed through on his threats. Nine plagues, hence, he has been demonstrating to Pharaoh, I am the Lord. You must bow your knee to me. You must obey me. But he hasn't. He hasn't humbled himself. He hasn't obeyed the God who made him. And so we've got to this point now where, where God is going to send the plague that ends all plagues. And the section that we're going to look at in the most depth today is verse 4 to 8, all right? And, and this section, verse 4 to 8, is actually the continuation of last week's sermon that Albert told us. It's actually the continuation of the conversation that Moses and Pharaoh are having at the end of chapter 10. So if you want to, you can just mark in your Bible, uh, just draw a line from verse 29 of chapter 10 down to verse 4 of chapter 11. There really shouldn't be a a chapter break there, it's, it's a continuation. Otherwise, it would be weird because, um, because uh, Moses and Pharaoh say, we're never going to see each other again. And then a few verses later, they're seeing each other again. There's no break there, right? It's just a continuation. All right, so let me read it to you, and, and this is, we'll get the flow. So verse 27, or no, verse 28 of chapter 10. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. Then we get a little flashback, 1 to 3 of chapter 11, and then it continues from the former in verse 4 to 6. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. That's the declaration that he has made. This is the great and final plague. This is the great final warning to Pharaoh. Bow the knee, admit that you are not God, that you are the creation of the great creator, that Yahweh is who he says he is, bow the knee to him. Otherwise, this great and final and most devastating plague is coming. Do you guys remember the Y2K bug? If you're young, just Google it. I know you're on your phone anyway, so you might just new tab. The Y2K bug was this thing that caused just mayhem around the world, and especially in Australia, it turns out. We were the ones that were most freaked out about it. Um, and it was this idea that... Um, 
that when the new millennium came, when, when we ticked over into January 1st, 2000, the world would blow up, right? And it would blow up or it would fall apart because in the 50s to the 80s, when the 10 guys who knew how to code computers were coding them, they only had two numbers for the year. So it was, they forgot about doing the 19 and it was just 51 or 81 or whatever. And then they realized as the millennium approached, they were like, oh, that means it's going to just be zero, zero on all the clocks, on all the servers of all the computers in the world. And so what if the computers think it's 1900 instead of year 2000? So everyone lost their minds. And I remember, like, there were people saying planes are going to fall out of the sky as soon as it ticks over, right? It's just going to be mayhem. Australia invested millions of dollars. They pulled all of their um, delegates out of foreign countries, right? We were the worst. We thought everything was going to disappear. And, um, and it was a real threat, right? Like, we didn't know. Who knows? No, like, we've only had the computers for a short time. The internet, we're still on dial-up. We don't know what's going to happen. And so everyone was a little bit freaked out. And I remember, as an, I was 18, and I was in the middle of um, Swanson Street as the clock ticked over with about a million other people. I was standing on top of a tram stop on the roof of one, just trying to get a good view of things. Because that year, Fight Club had come out, the movie. which is one of my favorite movies. And at the end of Fight Club, you just see all the buildings right in the city falling to the ground. And I thought that was what was going to happen. So I was... I was in the middle of it, and I was, on, so I was on the tram stop just to get a good view of everything falling to bits. And, um, and it did. Everything fell to bits. Like, it was just, no, actually, nothing happened. Nothing happened at all. It was a complete, complete washout. And like the Y2K bug, I guess, prophecy, there's been prophecies throughout Christian history about the world coming to an end, devastation coming. There was one just recently, was it September 23? Some people would try to draw some dots together in the Bible, revelations, you know, definitely September 23, everything's going to hell. Didn't happen. Um, always good to remember that Jesus said, even I don't know when the end is coming. So if he doesn't know, best bet is that you don't either, okay? So just keep that in mind. However, this is different. This is not an empty threat. This is not a false prophecy. This is a promise to Pharaoh. If you do this, then this will surely follow. If you refuse to bow the knee to me, then the firstborn of all of the families in your entire nation, even the cattle, are going to be killed. There is going to be death and devastation throughout the land, and it's going to be on you, Pharaoh. And I just want you to imagine, if you're in Egypt at this time, if you're Pharaoh or one of his advisors, and you're privy to this information, what are you thinking? Like, here's, here's what's happened so far. Moses had said nine other things, and all of them have happened exactly how he said them. Now he said this thing, which is the worst thing that could happen. What are you thinking? Like, Australia hedged their bets and said, better safe than sorry, we'll pour millions of dollars into just trying to protect ourselves against the Y2K bug, right? That is not the response of Pharaoh. He does not care. He doesn't care that Moses is nine for nine. He simply 
hardens his heart towards God and continues to live the way he's always lived. I am God. I am the master of my destiny. It's like that ridiculous poem Invictus, right? That's how he lives. I am God. I will determine history, both mine and that of my people, and it is a devastating decision that he makes because, as we're going to see next week, what Moses says will happen, will happen. To just imagine being in Pharaoh's household, being one of his advisors, maybe just being an average person in the street. He says very explicitly, it's not just you who's going to be judged in this way. It's going to be everyone down to the female slave at the mill, right? The, The lowest of the low in the social sphere is going to be affected by this devastating and final plague. And just imagine the noise when this happens, the noise of every family in an entire nation grieving, wailing, the noise of a nation united in their grief as they discover their firstborn dead. Verse 7, uh, verse 6 tells us, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there ever has been or ever will be again. This will be the worst thing that's ever happened or will ever happen to Egypt. A few years ago, we saw the Arab Spring and the, all the, the stuff that was going down in, in Egypt, the tumult and the, the political unrest and the violence, and none of it was anything like what happened 3,000 years ago. The wailing, the noise of the devastation as the people of Egypt inherit what Pharaoh brought upon them. And what I think what, what, what God really wants us to see in this is just the stark distinction between what befalls those who are unbelievers and versus what is going to befall those who are believers. The difference, the stark distinction between those who trust him and those who don't. So verse 7 is the most stark verse for me, right? But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then... You, Pharaoh, you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. The picture that we have here, and we're going to see it next week, is utter chaos, way beyond the Y2K bug thing that never happened, right? Way beyond political unrest that we see in Catalonia at the moment or in Egypt a few years ago, right? Way beyond that, the devastation is going to be complete. And yet, in the midst of that chaos, you have the people of Israel, God's own people, those who trust him, have faith in the salvation that he provides, walking out of Egypt without a dog barking at them. Like, dogs barking at you is the most universal experience that anyone can have, right? Everyone's had a dog bark at them. Uh, I have key dogs that bark at me every morning as I ride my bike to work and back, right? Without fail. And yet, in the midst of this chaos, not even a dog's going to bark at these people. Moses needs Pharaoh to know, God needs us to know that this is how sharp the distinction is between those who trust him and those who don't. 
And honestly, guys, this is the reality for us today. This is not just, oh, this happened 3,000 years ago. It's, a, it's an interesting historical quirk, right? This is the reality for everyone in this room. So if you're not paying attention at this point, everyone look right at me. This is us. This sharp distinction is for us as well. The distinction between the fate of those who trust God and those who reject Him is just as stark. Actually, it's far more stark. It's far worse for us to fall into the hands of the God who judges us than it was for the Egyptians or the Israelites. The plague that befalls us is far worse than the 10th plague that we're going to see next week. The stakes are way higher for us. And so if you think this is devastating, you need to understand how devastating the fate of those is who do not trust in the Lord Jesus for their salvation. Here's something you don't hear very much in church today. God is a God of wrath. He's a God of just wrath. The kind of anger that you experience when you hear about kids being molested, right? That, that just wrath that you experience, that righteous anger, that is the kind of wrath and anger that he experiences as he witnesses a world that has turned against him. And as he, as he looks into every human heart that has rebelled against him. And so here's what you need to know. God's wrath is coming. His judgment is coming and the judgment is going to be far worse than the 10th plague or any other plague that has ever befallen anyone in the history of the world. That's the truth. And because I love you, I want you to know that truth. Here's the reality of the gospel and we, and we really take the gospel seriously. We want, to, we, want to, we want to preach it every week. But here's the truth. You can't have good news without bad news. You can't have salvation unless you know what you're being saved from. And if you're a Christian, you haven't been saved from bad self-esteem or bad skin or bad finances, right? That's not what you're saved from. You're saved from God. That's who you're saved from. God saves you from himself. He saves you from the just uh, inheritance that you deserve to have. Everyone here rightly deserves a plague far greater than the 10th plague. Everyone here rightly deserves condemnation. Utter condemnation. And so if you've ever experienced the gospel is something like, well, I guess it's all right news. It's probably because you've never understood fully what you deserve. The gospel becomes beautiful, outstanding, majestic news when you rightly understand what it saves you from. Let me just chuck a few passages at you and then we're done, all right? They'll be on the screen. Start with Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the un- 
uh, all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Those who, like Pharaoh, see God as Lord, God, King, Christ, ruler over all things, and then say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to deny that truth and make myself God. That's exactly what Pharaoh has done. In doing so, he has suppressed the truth about who God is and who he is. And all of us do that when we deny the lordship of Jesus over us. And the outcome of that is that we experience the wrath of God revealed from heaven. All right, Revelation chapter 6 is a, a picture of the future. It says, The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, right? This is exactly what Moses said. From Pharaoh through to the slave woman, everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks, of the mountains, verse 16, they call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. That's the picture of the gospel you've got to have. It's the wrath of the lamb. It's anger and justice and condemnation and it's the lamb who is slain for us. Those two things together. It's judgment and mercy. It's condemnation and grace. Now, what have we got next? Hebrews 10.31. It is a dreadful thing. Think about that word. Dreadful. Something to be dreaded. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. They have these warnings throughout Scripture of the fate that befalls those who, like Pharaoh, harden their hearts and turn away from God, set themselves up to be gods and reject his lordship. What they have as a result, what they have as an inheritance is what they deserve. Not just a plague like the tenth plague, but the plague of utter condemnation. So we need to know that. Listen, the gospel is like a big game of Jenga and there are some pieces you can pull out and the thing stays together, right? One of those might be, did Jesus really go to hell after he died or did he just descend to the place of the dead, right? There's an ongoing theological debate about that. You can pull that piece out. You still have the gospel. If you pull the wrath of God and his just judgment out of the Jenga thing, the thing falls apart. You can't have a God of salvation without a God of judgment. So we need to know this. We need to know that everyone in this room is in that place, deserving judgment. Paul puts it really starkly and beautifully in Ephesians chapter 2, all right? He says, as for you, you guys in Caroline Springs, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world like Pharaoh did. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like Pharaoh did. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So what we like to do is like, 
We, we put up this arbitrary scale in our minds. Normally, most of us have Hitler, right, at the very bottom. We're like, well, we are way above that guy, all right? So I think we're going to be okay. And you've, you have this in nominal Christianity, right? If you go out and survey a bunch of people, and they're like, yeah, I took Christian on the, on the census thing. I'm not willing to say no, no religion at this point. And you say to them, well, wh- wh- how do you think God views you, you know? Do you think you are deserving of God's wrath? They're like, no, I'm not Hitler. You know, I'm not, I'm not like those Catholic priests who have been abusing kids or, you know, like, and we put all of the baddest people in that thing. I may, might know enough about the Bible to say, I'm not Pharaoh. Like the rest, like Hitler, like the pedophile priests and like Pharaoh, we were by nature deserving of wrath. See, it's not about what you've done. It's about who you are. That's why you can't escape it. Even if you take a rubber and just erase all the bad things you've done, it's not about what you've done. It's about who you are. You are by nature. Children, right? My little kids, who are like scientifically proven to be the cutest kids in the world, are by nature children of wrath. That's who they are. They came into this world deserving of wrath. That's the bad news, right? That is, if you believe it, and you're just like, well, that's a bit of a fairy tale. If you believe that, that's devastating news. That's not Y2K bug. That is devastating news. But it doesn't end there. I'm going to end in a minute, but I'm not going to end there. Get the next two verses. This is awesome. The first two words in the original language are, but God. Best two words in the Bible. You, on your own, by nature, deserving of wrath, but God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by Grace, amazing grace. You have been saved, not from bad finances or bad skin or bad self-esteem. You've been saved by grace from God's wrath. By grace, you have been saved. So here's the truth. Everyone in this room is liable to God's judgment and condemnation. And when that judgment comes, those who are judged in that way are going to say, I got no comeback. You're right, God. I got no defense. I'm by nature a child of wrath. I'm deserving of this judgment. Everyone in this room whether you believe it or not, is liable to that judgment and everyone in this room can be a partaker of God's mercy and grace. There is no one who is too far from God's grace to be welcomed into his household. No one. I don't care who you are. I do not care who you are or what you've done. If you mark yourself on that scale and you're right above Hitler rather than right below Mother Teresa, it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. God saves us unconditionally. Unconditional grace. So even when you are dead, can't get any worse than that. Can't get any more hopeless than that, right? You're not just sick, you're dead. You're not just drowning, you're dead. Even when we were dead in transgressions and sins, we were made alive with Christ. By grace, we've been saved. So listen, everyone in this room can be and should be, even today for the first time, a partaker in God's grace. That offer of salvation is open to everyone. You might be here and you took up that offer years ago and since then you have been backsliding and backsliding and backsliding and the beautiful truth is that God is a good father who runs down the road to meet you, to embrace you, to put a ring on your finger, a cloak on your back, slaughters the calf and has a party for you. Come home. Come home. You might be here this morning and you've never bowed the knee to Jesus. You've never acknowledged that he is God and you are not. You've been more Pharaoh than prodigal son. Well, this morning, God's arms are open wide to you. He invites you because of his love and mercy. He invites you to come home. He wants to welcome you into his household. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to come forward and just forget about everyone else who cares about them come just come forward and pray with someone pray and ask that god would welcome you into his family he's always already promised that he will it's not even up for debate he's going to do it for you this morning come forward we'll be here pray with us celebrate with us if you're here this morning and you, your heart is just hard towards this stuff, you don't believe it, you reject it, you want to make yourself out to be God, then you need to hear the warning loud and clear. Even if you say, this guy's insane, this is old school, I don't believe any of this, you need to hear the warning. Just as Moses said to Pharaoh, every firstborn will die, you need to hear the warning, not from me, but from God himself and his word, his justice and wrath is coming. And you'll be deserving of that judgment. You need to know that. We say this not because we hate you, but because we love you. Guys, the the lines are drawn very starkly between those who trust in God and those who don't. We're going to see next week it graphically detailed for us. I've been looking forward to Exodus 12 since we began this series months ago. This is going to be the climax of our our journey through this half of the book. It's going to be our birthday service. It's going to be a, a day of uh, announcements and great celebration. It's all going to happen around this beautiful picture of God saving his people from his judgments. So come. I'll tell you more about it later. I'm going to pray for us now as we close. Father, we thank you that you are honest with us. Lord, that you tell us the truth. Just as you spoke truth to Pharaoh and gave him ample opportunity to turn away from his stubbornness and turn towards you, so you've given us that same opportunity this morning. You've been very clear with us. 
And so I pray now by the power of your spirit that you would be moving in our hearts. Lord, for those who don't yet follow you and love you and serve you, I pray that your spirit would awaken them to your love and mercy and grace. For those of us who do, I pray that we would experience afresh the goodness of the gospel, that when we say amazing grace, we might actually mean it, that we would know the depths of your love and mercy, that we have been saved from a very real and present danger. Lord, I pray that you would make us a church that shares the gospel freely in all of its fullness and its beauty and its terror. And we pray that as you always done, you will continue, you would continue to make us a community of people helping people make all of life all about Jesus. We love you. We thank you for all you've done and all you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.